Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 123. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys! Plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. 
And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> get Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrilla and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. I just turned in my book about Pac-Man, and I have no news about the Warren Kramer book, or the TTV scrapbook, or the Disney book. I'm still working on my Mad book, the Kool-Aid Man article, as well as articles about the Richie Rich comic strip and Charlton Comics. On today's show, we feature a man who has a deep announcer's voice most suitable for being a DJ and a voice actor, both of which he has done. But in addition to that, he is a knowledgeable fan and collector of music and film and other pop culture subjects. Here he is, David Ghosty Wills. Hi, this is Mark Arnold on Fun Ideas Podcast, and today I have a special guest, David Ghosty Wills. How are you, sir? I'm doing good here in wet and rainy and disgusting, gray, cloudy, awful New Jersey. Okay, I was going to ask you before we start. Where was this dreary, awful place? Uh, yeah, in my room, in my house. No, yeah, just all, just the general area of New Jersey. But you know, it doesn't the weather doesn't even really need to affect it. It's always kind of disgusting here. That's what we thrive on. Meanwhile, here in Oregon, it's like hot. <laughs> and then you go down to California, it's even hotter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, well, I'm glad you're a guest today with me today. The reason why I uh, consulted you, I first encountered your scintillating voice <laughs> on <laughs> Zilch, the Monkeys podcast. And I said, yes. this is kind of an interesting guy. Uh, then um, you start posting like various books you were trying to get back into your collection. I said, what is this guy stealing books from my bookcase? Showbiz, entertainment uh, books and right. biographies, yeah. So the ones you had to recollect as it were i had all these years and so i'm like hmm, interesting so i thought hmm. based on your interest in the monkeys and beetles and elvis and all sorts of things i thought you know hey i've never actually talked to you and met you but you know i said we might have a good uh basis for a podcast here <laughs> so well i'm out I, I, that's 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 all i need to know that i i don't want to be a part of a club that's going to have me as a member so right exactly. right Okay, so I know beforehand you said, "What are we talking about?" And I said, "Well, about your career a little bit." And he was like, "Wow, well, maybe like two seconds." So yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give the elevator pitch about your career, how you got started. Just tell me a bit about yourself and how you got into doing voiceovers and DJing and all this stuff. And how sure. You that voice, so. <laughs> well, the DJing was uh, something I always wanted to do when I was a kid. I used to um, get out my Sesame Street records. And I had one of those, you know, portable, uh, you know, one speaker tape recorders. Uh, and I would uh, record these little radio shows in my bedroom, you know, going, and we just heard Ernie with Rubber Ducky. And now we're going into Sesame Street Fever. And uh, then I would force uh, my relatives to listen to them. So nothing has changed. <laughs> I'm still forcing them uh, and they react with, you know, complete disinterest, as you would expect. And in, so I've been doing that for years and years and years. Um, that and 50 cents will buy you a cup of coffee. Uh, in terms of the uh, voiceover work, a friend of mine 
years ago, we we're part of a, my friend Sean, who's part of a radio comedy troupe or radio theater troupe, half comedy, half just uh, bizarreness, called the Magnificent Glass Pelican. He had turned me on to a voiceover gig at MTV for a celebrity deathmatch. So they needed someone to impersonate various celebrities that they would render in claymation and have them fight. So I did that show for a couple of seasons. And after that, I went into, I worked at a company called Four Kids, who did the blocks of Saturday morning cartoons on two networks. So I was on, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog or Pokemon and G.I. Joe and all those kind of programs. Until everything kind of shifted away from, I don't think there is Saturday morning cartoons anymore. No, everything's like educational. 24 hours a day. Educational, instructional, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, me right. TV shows like the old cartoons now, which is kind of interesting commentary. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I was always interested in. You know, it was one of those things where when I was a kid watching uh, the Warner Brothers cartoons, I would sit there and rehearse and rehearse and like try to get those voices down. Because I thought, wow, one day, you know, that's what I'm going to get into. And instead, it was, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! and things like that. So I never got to break out my Bugs Bunny impression, but there you go. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, well, one day, Mel Blanc's going to pass away. And then I'll take his well, right now, I, I think Billy West is doing uh, Bugs. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't cheering for, for Mel Blanc's uh, passing away. But, uh, you know, maybe Billy West. No, I'm kidding. I, God forbid. But uh, uh, those guys, you know, who do it now, it's like, seriously? I mean, that was my in. That was I was going to get that job. And he's had it for years, so. Now, are you always home based in New Jersey or the East Coast, or have you worked in LA or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I'm always <laughs> stuck here. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like I'd like to uh, get out of here. I really would, <laughs> especially today, right, considering right. what it looks like outside. Yeah, right. But I mean, as far as all those uh, jobs and everything, are those done back there, or did you actually? Oh, they're all, uh, they're mostly done. I mean, I'm still doing cartoon work and I do commercials and things like that. Not too often though. You know, the pandemic was very lucrative for some people who had like fantastic home studios and didn't think I'm not one of those guys, you know? So, uh, for me, it was sort of like, Oh yeah, great. Uh, now things are starting to come back. I'm doing more voiceovers every week. So, Hopefully I can get back into the swing of things before I age out completely. You know, when I was um, in my 20s, I was able to play, uh, you know, young people on the show. And I, I think I still sound young. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think they look at me and they go, you'd be great for the grandfather. <laughs> you know, you would be great for we're looking for. I remember I got a, a, an audition for uh, some commercial. And the no, you could tell the, the people who were at the advertising agency or the casting director were very young because they were saying, we're looking for someone elderly, 45 and up. And I thought, oh, my God, if, that, if that's elderly to you, you know, it's like, you know, toothless old buffoon, you know, around the age of 50. I'm like, oh, forget it. Yeah, that's that showbiz for you. Well, it happens in all fields. I, I, yes. I work in healthcare. I do uh, phone work uh, in different calls and things. Uh, I've done that like everything. Uh, that's my 95 gig. And uh, <laughs> the, the boss said, you know, it's like, 
how did he phrase it? And I know he's younger than me. He was talking about uh, effectively people being older than Led Zeppelin. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, just the I mean, other day. Barely, but I am, you know, it's like two years. You know? <laughs> yeah, there was a thing on Facebook and it was sometimes, I mean, I, I'm sure you're the same way. I walk around into my head. I think I'm about 30. I'm just... I just, you know, I'm older than, I'm, in my, I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm not in my 20s. And I just sort of think of myself as, you know, yeah, I'm like 30. And uh, I see a Facebook post that says, celebrating the quarter century of the Spice Girls. That's right. right, right. I'm like, what? What yep. are you talking about? The 25 years? This doesn't seem right. Britney Spears turned 72 today. What? Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. So, yeah, it's catching up to us. I think it was Raiders of the Lost Start came out 40 years ago. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's like when I talk to young people and they're like, um, you know, they go, oh, yeah, I love the 60s, like, um, you know, like the Beatles and Blondie. And I go, whoa, 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 Blondie's not the same. They go, well, it doesn't matter. 80s, 60s, what's the difference? And you go, well, what's the difference? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so one more thing about your career. I mean, did you plan to do the types of things you're doing? I mean, it's you mentioned like imitating other or celebrities did you think about doing that or stand up or any other type of career you know i did stand up once and i forgot my act on stage and that was the end of that i'll tell you the funny story about that i mean it's not terribly funny but i worked up an act that i thought was good for i had like maybe two and a half minutes of good material and i thought i have two and a half minutes of good material i'll wing the west wing the west i'm turning into elmer fudd see those impressions are coming back and uh Right before I, it was open mic night, and right before I was about to go on stage, comedian Jim Gaffigan comes in to try out new material. So I had there were a bunch of you know would be comics before me who were just laying eggs, terrible. And I thought, boy, I have two and a half minutes that kills, you know. So I'm going to go out there and I'm really going to look good. And Jim Gaffigan, they're like, oh wait, 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 oh, Jim Gaffigan's here. He's going to try out some new material, and it was fantastic. So by the time I came on, I was so shook. I was so rattled, you know, because he was knocking him dead. It was a celebrity. They were sorry to see him go. You know, he's leaving the stage and I'm coming on with, you know, this chorus of groans and disinterest. And it's like, oh, you know, the fun, fun is over. Here comes this schlub. And I started my act and I, I only had two and a half minutes. and I couldn't remember it. And I had a friend who was sitting in the audience and I actually said to her on stage, I, her name's Deanna. And I said, Deanna, do you remember how the rest of this goes? And, uh, and not, only, not only was it a bad night, uh, not only did I not even get my two and a half minutes because I couldn't get it out, they actually videotaped it. Oh, no. So, right. So, you know, they were videotaping your, your first time on stage. And, you know, and it's like, this is not something I want to keep. You know, I really don't want to. So I immediately recorded over it with an episode of Baywatch or something yeah. like that. Something, something <laughs> profound. So. I did uh, stand up exactly once myself. Um, it was, uh, I was actually producing some Hispanic uh, uh, comedy shows in the San Francisco Bay Area about, and I'd see these people night after night, and they'd just do their same act over and over. Right. You know, I could do that. And so I wrote some material. Originally, I offered it to one of the comedians because I thought this act was getting stale. And I said, here, have some new material. He didn't want it. He wanted to write his own material. So I sure. Fine. 
So there is like an open mic night on one of our nights. And I went up there and I did it. And unlike you, I actually remembered it. Uh, but it's tough. You know, it's like, yeah, you're up there. And it's like, I got a few laughs and everything like that. But it's like, wow, you know, to actually just stand up there. It's not like I had stage fright. It's just like to motivate the, the audience to do something. You know, it's like, it's one thing. I like it. You can give a speech in front of the crowd. That's no big deal because you're not trying to get right. action necessarily. I mean, yeah, because it's a big But to make somebody, like, I think this is funny, blah, blah, blah. And then they don't laugh. And then, oh, it's right. It's a little bit harder than I thought. And I didn't have, like, the patience of the time, whatever. It's not the timing. It's the, you know, the persistence and the patience to kind of hold it down and and it was just kind of an experiment to see if it was something that came really naturally or if I'd have to work at it. It's like, I <laughs> yeah, you know, I have to admit, when I went on stage, I, the one thing I remember is that there was a really cute girl sitting at a table right up front. And God love her, she was uh, very receptive, you know, <laughs> and I thought to myself, what a dangerous power this is, you know, being on stage and. And then I forgot the material. So that was the end of that. And I, it was one of those things that, you know, my life is filled with these uh, things that I want to go back to someday. It was like, you know, it was, it was uh, not a good experience, but at the same time, it wasn't terrible. You know, I mean, uh, I, I have a feeling I could do it, you know, but by the time I get around to it, you know, I'm going to be crawling on stage, you know, waving my cane in the air and, uh, Right, but the idea, my big closer is my teeth will fall out. You know, that'll be the end of it. Charlie Weaver returns. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Let me tell you something. And I I pass out. (laughs) Um, So before I go any further, and I'm sure you've been asked this a zillion billion times, where did Ghosty come from? Where did that name? You know, I wish there was a story. Oh. There really isn't. You know, because people have asked me that when I. Got into radio, small-time radio, which I'm still there, you know, nothing like being a big fish in a small pond. I, um, I said I have to pick a name. And I, most everybody picks something like, you know, Fred Cheese or something. So I said, uh, Ghosty. Yeah, because I'm like a disembodied voice, and I'm sort of floating through the air. And I said, yeah, that'll work. So I just went on the air with that, and it stuck because other people there didn't know me at all, so they just referred to me as that every time they saw me. So I figured, I guess that's who I am now. And th- it didn't occur to me. I looked it up in the dictionary, and it's an adjective. And I thought, well, that's strange. Normally, it would be a noun. You know, you'd want to be a noun, not a descriptive word. You know, it's like calling yourself cloudy or, uh, you know, hi, I'm uh, breezy. But... For whatever reason, yeah, it stuck. So because of Facebook, I was just going to be ghosty. But then at some point, Facebook decided that I couldn't be ghosty, that I had to uh, put my full name on there. Luckily, my middle name uh, begins with a G. So I was able to fool the powers that be at Facebook and keep ghosty uh, there. Anyway, <laughs> for 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 all you know, the ten people who uh, managed to find me on there, it's, I got banned the other day for typing the word "slut." Now, out of context, right. I suppose that sounds really nasty. Why are you saying that? 
Um, it was uh, a 70s group about television shows from the 70s. And they were talking about that uh, wonderful catchphrase Dan Aykroyd used to say to Jane Curtin. Jane, you ignorant slut. Yes. Uh, as soon as I put the word up and hit enter, uh, then I was suddenly banned, you know, and I had to try to fight back and say, hey, wait sure. a minute, I was commenting on something. And it turns out it was somebody in the group that actually had no clue about that thing. I just saw the word slut and was offended. And I said, okay, yeah. I'm out of here. I'm not going to be in this group anymore. So as soon as I got back up, I just said, I'm not going to be in a 70s group if people don't understand 70s Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I got in trouble because I was questioning something. Somebody had written something really bigoted on Facebook, and I quoted them. And I even put quotation marks around it and said, you know, this is really offensive, what you've written there. And that person had no trouble, and I got flagged because I had quoted their statement. <laughs> I'd even put quote marks around it. And, it's, and they, they give you this thing where they say, would you like to dispute this? And I said... Yeah, you know, I think any reasonable person would see that one of us is in the wrong and it ain't me. And then I got something back like, well, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we don't have as many people uh, available. So it may be some time before we can review your case. Whatever. At least they didn't ban me. Unlike you for mentioning uh, the weekend update uh, sketch, which everybody in a 70s group should know. Yes. I mean, I was in your time everybody said to each other people didn't care <laughs> you know? right as long as you behave you could say that all day long you know it's probably not something to say in front of the class but i mean you know recess part you know? sure it's like if you said something like oh you're doddering like emily latella and they say oh you can't mention this woman's name in this group it's a violation of privacy you know and you're like oh, it's a fictional character you should know who this is it's a 70s group so i just don't have yep um so I first heard of you on uh, the Zilt podcast by Ken Mills. Uh, he and I chit-chatted. I've been kind of briefly on the show. My partner on, who did the, our monkey's book, Michael Dentrell, has been on. Mm -hmm. day, but, um, uh, you know, you were doing reviews and everything. How did you get discovered by Ken? How did you get involved in uh, I used to listen to Ken's, well, I still listen occasionally, but I don't think they, they put it out as often as they did, uh, his podcast, which was his, right, his KISS podcast. And then I saw that he was starting a Monkeys podcast. So I, at the time, I don't think there were any other Monkeys podcasts. So I put my, you know, support behind it. And, and then he invited me at some point to uh, take part in the album reviews. And I'm really hoping, because we've done, I think all of them up to changes. So I hope we get to do a changes review because I'm a changes booster. I actually think there's some, not all, but I mean, I like all of the dark and all my mind. There's some good tracks on that. It's not, you know, I know that Davey didn't like it, didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to be a part of the booklet in the CD reissue. But uh, I think there's some good stuff on there. I mean, not everything, but yeah. Uh, now, are you friends are aware of uh, this Australian man named Plastic E.P. goes by Plastic E.P. Um, I was on his program. I think uh, I think I was um, probably the least viewed episode he uh, he ever had, which doesn't bode well for yours tonight, that's for sure. But um, yeah, uh, I think I'm one of the few that he never actually archived. Oh. I think it was, yeah. <laughs> 
I was showing off my book collection to him. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I ask is because um, I guess because he, he he's trying to do as many shows you could as you could possibly do in the shortest amount of time. Like he's up to almost episode five hundred now. Um, right. Yes. Occasionally, he has the the big panel, and we all do our review shows, and we've gone through all the monkeys albums. I mean, it got to where you know we got to like uh, good times and the Christmas album and everything, and the live album. And da, 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 da. It's like how many more episodes are there? <laughs> right. You know, it's fun at first. It's like, but I didn't like it doing them such fast a pace. But we did do a changes show, and yeah. Um, not everybody like changes that much, although well, yeah, I have a soft spot for like oh my Miranda. Sure, no, it's not top shelf monkeys by any means. You know, if someone were to say I'm into the monkeys, which album should I get? That would not be on my list. It would not be. I mean, it would be after uh, Justice. You know, I'd I'd go with Changes, but I mean, I I think there are some good things on there. I even like. Um, I, I know it's a leftover, but I never thought it peculiar. You know, I enjoy that. I don't see anything wrong with that. So it has its moments. You know, I I, I don't think there's any Monkeys album that's truly terrible. You know, yeah. I think they all have something going for it. In fact, even though it's not a Monkeys album, although it kind of could be, the new Dolan's Sings Nesmith collection, I think, is, you know, it's not high praise to say it's the best new album I've heard this year because I've, you know, maybe I've heard one or two, you know. But, um Easily at this point, that album is so good, the Dolan Zings Nesmith, that anyone at this late stage who's saying, oh, they're not real musicians or they can't, is really an imbecile. I mean, there's just no, you know, you, you can only go, oh, that's your opinion and I respect it. You can only do that so many times. You know, at this point, someone who says that really does not belong, uh, they, don't, they don't deserve a seat at the table for any kind of serious discussion about music. You know, at that point, it's like, yep, so long. You know, that album is, is that good. When and I've only heard it twice. I, I know you probably said this on Zilch, but this is a different podcast, and I forgot. So um, when and how did you become a Monkees fan? Well, I liked it. It was on in reruns when I was a kid uh, in the 70s, and I always liked them, like, you know, I – like I like the monkeys, like I like the Partridge family and, you know, whatever was big. I mean, David Cassidy was probably, if somebody had said to me, what does a rock star look like or what do they do? I would have been like, it's that guy on TV, you know? Um, and Davey was sort of the same way because he was doing a lot of um, variety shows and things like that. So he was like a star I was aware of, but it wasn't until later. It was after the eighties success I think when the, you know, when the monkeys were happening in the eighties, I bought then and now I bought that compilation and I liked it. Um, but it didn't make me want to go back and actually get the albums. You know, I'm like, I have my hits compilation. It's good. You know, I'm happy to see that people like this, but I think I was in, I, I was in this sort of pretentious, you know, it's not serious enough for me. And I will only listen to, you know, the Velvet Underground, or whatever I was into at that time. Then later, um, I was in a used record store, and it was actually used cassettes, and they had the Rhino cassette of Instant Replay. And I figured, well, it's only like $3 or whatever. I'll pick it up. And I put it on in the car, and I had just been dumped. Um, 
I want to say this was like maybe the, I don't know, 13th or 14th time I had been dumped up at that point. But, you know, it always stings. And it seems like every song on that record, it was almost like a breakup album. You know, there was like, don't listen to, it's don't listen to Linda on there, I think. Yeah. And um, I won't be the same without her. I mean, it was just, it was killing me. I was driving around listening to this and I was like, I don't believe it. The monkeys, the monkeys, they feel my pain. I, I'm just shocked. I, I, I wouldn't expect it. You know, it was like their pet sounds or something to me. So at that point, then I, I know it's high praise, right? I mean, that's, that's really taken. It I do like that. Yeah. And then, and so then I went back and started buying them and then I bought them again on CD and then I bought them again on CD. Um, I, yeah, I'm at the point now where I don't think, uh, I don't think I'll be purchasing them again and again and again. You know, I, as a as a Beatle fan, you know, the Beatles would be my number one group. I've announced it on other shows. I'm like, I'm no longer a completist, folks. You know, I uh, I was my teenage self would be mortified that I'm not out there purchasing all the archive editions. But you know, at some point, you have to stop. However, when it comes to the books, it's not the case. You know, I'm always I, I'm rebuying all the books the Beatle books that I used to own because I for whatever reason purged you know in various moves and now it's like oh I wish I had you know the love you make with that 1984 mass market cover the one that I got at the drugstore so that's what I'm doing going through and that's what I'm posting on Facebook now it looks like you might have froze there. I don't know if that's me or maybe what I said was yeah. cause for concern. I'm not really oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, if I freeze, I'm like, oh, no, don't freeze on me. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it's my connection or not because I tested this. Stuff. This is a new computer. Oh, why is this? And um, hmm. I thought I should get it plugged in. Okay. Yeah, it's supposed to be plugged in. Some easy well, you know what? I mean, I'm hearing the audio. I'm hearing the audio. It's just the video is a little bit behind, uh, you know. Anyway, <laughs> blame it on that. Anyway, yeah. um, well, it's not as bad as the last time I have to tell you this. So, uh, Plastic EP, you had the written Speedway. For those who don't know, that's probably hard name links. Since we're talking about these, um, I love that record. He, he had a show on that, and. He had it when I was still at work, so I just joined in the last five minutes, and you talked about archive editions. Strangely enough, you've probably at least seen all those big McCartney archives. Sure. Most of them, I go, I don't need, like, every tape of this song. But the Red Rose Speedway one had, like, the James Paul McCartney TV special. It had Bruce right. House. It had all this other stuff. And I said, hmm, I think I'll invest on this one. So I did. And I got to show that at the very end. And then suddenly at the Right when I got done, I just kind of froze, like, you know, and <laughs> he's talking to me, and so it looks like I'm listening, and I'm just, you know, and then he says, well, that's the NFL show, you know, everybody but Claude, you know, and everybody's like this, and I'm still, <laughs> you know, it was really like, it's like, an, the show, sure, so. it's like a, a, an old 70s or 80s sitcom, you know, at the very end where they pause, and they tell a joke, and, ah, and then the credits roll, sure. That's what you're trying to recreate. So you didn't even know it. This type of podcasting, you know, would be like the 2040s. And so remember back in the 20s when it exactly was <laughs> during that pandemic, exactly what a wacky time that was. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so that's exactly uh, what's going to happen. So Beatles is your favorite. Do you have what 
favorite albums you have, and you can say them on Monkeys too. What are your favorites? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm partial to the American rubber soul. I'm always a champion for the American rubber soul because I've just seen a face is buried as a album cut on the back of help. And I really like it as an opening cut. And I like the whole vibe of the U S version. So I apologize for all my Brit friends out there listening. Um, you know, beach boys would be like my number two group. So, uh, obviously pet sounds for them and sunflower, and 2020, which is an album I really love, despite the fact that it has some smile cuts, you know, Our Prayer and Cabin Essence at the end. I didn't know when I got the record that those were leftover smile cuts. So what did I know? For me, I just thought it was an awesome album all the way through and still think that, uh, you know, I like the Kinks. Um, yeah, you know, kind of the usual. I, I kind of feel like we're all, there's like a group of us. Uh, it's like s studious rock nerds kind of finding each other like these slithering tentacles are reaching out through facebook and we're all we all kind of like the same thing and it's kind of a shame that we're spread out all over the country but at the same time we're kind of loners anyway you know so it's all, it's all kind of working <laughs> well it is kind of amazing just because you know i've seen like the stuff you're doing and i go wow yeah very similar things this is kind of scary anyway <laughs> well i want to know how many books have you been involved in that I've written or that... Uh, right. Uh, well, let's just say you've been involved. I mean, you you know, yeah, I know you collaborate. Yeah. Um, me? I have 14 public Um, My first one was... My, my big love outside of music is uh, comic books. And mm -hmm. I my favorite company is Harvey Comics. And, you know, whenever I say comic books, most people talk about superheroes and all the movies and blah, blah, blah. I was a fan of that, but I never, like, it never grew on me to the point where I had to have everything for that. Right. For some reason, Harvey and even Archie and other stuff, that stuff I wanted, and which was great back in the old days because that was the stuff from the cheap bins, so you just... Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, you can have your Superman and your Spider-Man, so I'll get the current issues, but the old ones, eh, I don't want to pay $30, which now would be, like, $3,000. Right, so exactly. Issues, you know? I thought it was too much even then, so, um, but where was I going? So that became the basis of my first book. I did a fanzine for a number of years about Harvey Comics. And then I didn't want to be completely typecast as the Harvey guy, even though I kind of am in a certain respect. And um, uh, once I did the first book, I thought, I, you probably have heard the publisher because of different books being published, Bear Manor Media. That's kind of yes, the of course. story sure. books are published. Uh, I caught the wind of Ben Omar at that publisher, and he said, you know, hey, I like your Harvey book. You want to do something else? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. And, um, I had recently, at the time, it was about 2009, written an article about total television, the company that did Underdog and Fantasy Tuxedo and stuff like that. Right. And I was just kind of curious as to what happened to that company. It, the article kind of focused on that, but he says, you think you can expand it into a book, you know, and and then it kind of went on from there. And so I started doing books on animation and then books on comic books. And then it evolved, evolved, evolved into music and TV and right. you know, everything like that. And all along, I was doing interviews like we're doing now. And I have a friend who runs a comic store in Lee Hester, runs Lee's Comics. And um, he said, you know, Mark, you should do a podcast. And he said, does this podcast. But you're doing all these interviews. You know, you know how to interview people. I'm like, mm -hmm. 
but I really didn't, <laughs> you know, but then it, it's turned out to be fun. And some of the episodes are double duty, not this one, unfortunately, but you know, it's like if they're I'm, I'm, story of my life. If I was writing an article about the David Ghosty Wills story, uh, yeah, I'd take excerpts from this and I could make an article or a book out of it. Um, I'll, try, I'll try to have a really glamorous death <laughs> so that you can write a great article. But, you know, I, you know, it's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. It's like, you know, I don't uh, claim to say, oh, I can only have professionals on my show or whatever in any, in the industry. You know, I like fellow fans. You know, I, I like uh, talking about because even with uh, the professionals, sometimes the episodes have devolved where you know we're suddenly talking about Laurel and Hardy, and the guy's like a musician right. or something, and it's like, okay, let's talk about Laurel and Hardy for a while. I'm interested, so you know, it's like I don't have to talk about you know what guitar chords you played on that record <laughs> anymore. You know, so pretty free form. So, you know, uh, so you know, you I was. I, 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 I would just just to interrupt for a moment because I, I don't want to lose the thread of Harvey, but my favorite Harvey comic was Sad Sack. Um, and it's funny because I was not a Beetle Bailey fan, hmm. uh, but I grabbed, I, I really, you know, like there were Stones fans and Beatles fans and everything. I was clearly a Sad Sack fan. And for a while there, I know, uh, I forget the original artist who did, you'll know, who's the original artist, the guy who did Sad Sack? Right. So at one point, they had other artists doing it, and then they went back and started using, they just started reprinting, I guess, his covers sometime actually, in the actually, 80s. Actually, I'll tell you the truth. They had a huge backlog that they never, to this day, have published all the parts. Now they don't even print them. But they were printing into the 80s, and they had, just had this backlog of covers when he died in the 70s. So. I remember I was purchasing that, and no, because I was friendly with a lot of comic fans. I had like one friend who was really into Sad Sack, and I think wasn't Slabo? Wasn't there a guy named Slabo who was like oh, Sad Sack's pal? Slob Slabinski. Slob Slabinski. That there's, was his there's name. There's your name changer from right, right, <laughs> so exactly. Slob Slabinski, and uh, we were really into that comic. And like you said, it's true at that time. You could go to a comic shop, and I used to, there are a bunch of them here on the East Coast, and you could go to the quarter box, which doesn't exist anymore, but people, there used to be comic conventions, believe it or not, where people sold comic books, and people, I know, crazy as it may seem, people who were interested in comics and that were collectors would go to these comic book conventions and purchase comic books, and I used to hit the quarter box. And I used to pick up all, because Archie was my favorite, still is. So I would get, you know, Archie's. I would get Batman's, uh, you know, early 70s Batman, Neil Adams. I mean, it was like it was considered, you know, there was, there was no big market for it. I would purchase, you know, I, I wasn't finding the early Amazing Spider-Mans, but I was finding the Marvel Tales, you know, the reprints of the Steve Ditko and then the John Romita. So I was going through that whole thing. And then sometime around in the early 90s, I sold all of my comic books <laughs> for, I don't know, I want to say like $300 or something like that. And now I, I weep when I go into a comic shop and I see that I had like the new Teen Titans, like I had all of them in mint condition in Myler bags. And, and I just think to myself, what a fool I was. Why would I do that? I mean, it's the same old story, but I... I was one of those kids who was 
warning other people not to do that. And then at some point I fell victim to this illusion of maturity that I had to get rid of these things for the greater good. And, uh, and I've been kicking myself ever since I got back into comics recently, I'd say within the past five years. And it's not the same. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I go and I purchase them and I'm reading Red Sonia and, um, you know, occasionally in Archie, um, there's this one now about the history of animation, uh, oh, yeah. and comp you're right. I forget who did it, but that's a, that's a really great series. I enjoy reading that. Um, but it's just not, it's not the same for one thing. I mean, they're much more expensive, you know, I'm spending like 30 or $40 every week, you know, and walking out with five comics years ago, I would walk out with a trunk load of, of comics and they would all be worth something, you know, in about 10 or 15 years. But one of my favorites was Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew. Right. Scott Shaw, of course, did the cover of your, the Monkeys book. So and, there's a connection. Yeah, he did the cover of our books, and he's been on this podcast. And I did a podcast with him uh, about Alvin and the Chipmunks, which is another book that I did. I don't know if you know who Stu's show stack is. He has a sure, sure, sure. Stu show, yep. Stu show. So I was on there with him uh, about two or three years ago before the pandemic. 2019 or something so um yeah and scott scott shaw also did i think he has a story or he's got something in a funny animal comic that was published by pacific comics in like 1982 i think it was a one shot yeah they did, it was called i think wild animal that's it that's it now i have because alien worlds i really enjoy this so i have all the alien worlds like when i got rid of my comics i kept for some reason, I kept most of the Pacific stuff. So I kept Twisted Tales and Captain Victory and uh, not the Rocketeer. Not the Rocketeer, though, right? I mean, wouldn't that, that would be the one thing I would keep because I had bought the graphic novel of the Rocketeer. I felt like I could get rid of the comics. Oh, what an idiot. Um, and I did keep all of my Archies. And, of course, the Archies that I have are worth nothing. Like, even to this day, you know, I look up, I go, well, this is 1968. It's got to have some value. Nope, like a dollar fifty, you know. <laughs> uh, the later Archie is the only one's like first appearance of Cheryl Blossom. Yes, <laughs> right. Which I, I at that, that point I suddenly yeah. skyrocketed, and, and I had I hate to say I did sell my Archie collection, not all of it, but a lot, a big chunk of it at one point because I had worked on a, an Archie book with a friend of mine named Craig Yo, and since I didn't think. I was going to do anything else with Archie. I said, well, this takes up a lot of space. I can get some money for this, which I did. Uh, I did get about five grand for my collection, but, the, you know, I kind of... It's a lot better than I got. Yeah. I got, you know, I, got, I kind of regret that one, but, you know, it, um, it happens. Uh, I still have all my Harveys. Uh, I have sold some of, you know... I, I, I've done it on all my collections, even Beatles and Monkeys. Like, even when I was doing all those Monkey shows with uh, plastic, I was like going through my vinyl records and I go, I really got rid of monkey clips, picture disc, and I, I said, right. and I did because when all that stuff came out and missing links in the CDs and everything, oh, I don't need this picture disc, you know, I have too many greatest hits, and it's like now I'm kind of like, I kind of wish I'd have it now, what do they cost now on eBay? Oh, 20, 30 bucks? I don't know if I want to buy it back when I originally bought for like three or four bucks, you know. Yeah, that's why eBay's been coming in handy because I I don't pull the trigger until I see somebody who's, you know, if it's under ten dollars, yeah. then I go okay. So there's like, 
Um, Bridget Bardot, I'm a big fan of her movies. We share a birthday. I wrote her a letter a couple of years ago and I got her autograph. So I was like, oh, I'm psyched. But um, when I was younger and I would get a book on her, you know, I would rip pictures out that I liked and put it like, uh, you know, on my wall and things like that. So I've desecrated these books. So I've had to repurchase them. And the Beatle ones, I don't know why I got rid of some of the Beatle books. Either I just felt like, I don't know, you know, I, I did that with um, Beach Boys stuff too. Like at some point I felt, I'm not going to read this again. I'll get rid of it. And then you wind up missing, you know, missing having it around. Well, I got rid of it. I did do a Beatles bird, mainly getting rid of ones I didn't like. So, you know, there's, you know I don't name names, but there's certain authors that... Oh, I could guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, do, I think I, I think I can see it in your eyes. You know the ones. That, <laughs> yeah, the ones. That, you know, I'll say this: the ones that you know stretch or change the truth. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I read one of those recently. Beyond the point where it's like it, it's forgiven if it was like, I mean, like here's a great book that came out in the seventies. It's like Nicholas Schaffner's Beatles Forever. Okay. Sure. There's errors in it because yeah. I didn't know. You know, but right, it's like right. it's a great book. And it was a great book for its time. And if you don't have it, that's a book you should have. Uh, uh, the Love You Makes another good one. You know, it's like yeah. it was a great book for its time. You know, yeah, they might have errors. Um, I think it was, what was the book? Was it Shout? That, oh, no, Philip Norman's book is very it, problematic. It yeah. Where they, I have the original version, and then I have like a revised version. Yes, yeah, yeah. Edition, and they talk about, well, we found out the exact date John met Paul, which was incorrect in our old version. Sorry about right. that. So now we've corrected it. You know, I think that's kind of cute. <laughs> so it's fun to yeah. have Growing Up with the Beatles by Rob Schomburg was a big yeah, book. book. Yeah, yeah. And it's strangely enough, not a lot of people know about that one. Or they probably have neglected it, thinking, why would you want some nerdy teenager's viewpoint? And I it's go, fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's great. He's an excellent writer. And he's like right there along the line. I was, you know, I was born in 66. So it's like, it was... I, they were already done when I was cognizant of them. Right. Uh, but, you know, I can feel what he was going through in 63. It's like, I was just doing sure. graduation. I had no interest in the Beatles. And then the next year, all of a sudden, I was really interested. They got pissed off when they went to Sergeant Bird yes. stopped for a while. And they kind of came back when Abby Roeder of White Album. I forgot which one got them back on the thing, you know. And it's like, and then the book comes out in the mid-70s. I'd love to see an update. I don't know if the guy's still around, but, you know, it's like... You know, he <laughs> has... I think I talk, I spoke with Robert Rodriguez about uh, Rob Schomburg. Like, yeah, I don't think he's ever done a convention. Um, he's reclusive, I suppose, but that book is wonderful. It's it's like The Wonder Years. It's like that television program, but with a heavy beetle slant. You know, him in the Nehru jacket, the photos are great. And uh, I have a couple of those books where it's like a Beatle fan's diary, or something like that. I know that there's a new book out uh, from Kenneth Womack and Kid O'Toole about fandom in general. And I'd be curious about, now I'm a few years, I'm a few years after you, I came along a few years after you, but um, I mean, I guess I would consider myself second generation because I was getting into the Beatles. I mean, I was pretty young, but when the rock and roll music compilation came out and got to get you into my life, was a hit and i thought it was a wing song until someone corrected me that it was a beatles tune what did i know um but i'm curious now because there does seem to be this 
I guess it's more like fourth generation now. These really young uh, podcasters, some of which I'm connected with on on Facebook, who are like 15 or 16, and um, and and there are ones that are older, that are in their 20s or whatever. And I'm really interested in hearing their perspective. I, most of the Beatle-oriented podcasts I listen to, my friend uh, Anthony does a. Uh, John Lennon show called Glass Onion. So occasionally I'm on that program. We did a three-part Elvis episode, which uh, is I heard one of worth... them. I don't know if I got to the other two, but I heard one of them. Yeah, they're 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 pretty lengthy. I will <laughs> I will say, um, we do tend to go on, yeah. but I I just I do listen to that one, and there's a few others I do listen to. Robert something about the Beatles, but I'm really tuned in with uh, like uh, One Sweet Dream. And, uh, oh, that young kid, Hudson, I can't think of the name of his show. Yeah, he's been on some of the plastic. Right, right. And I don't want to leave them out. But there are all these other, uh, and I'm really interested in their perspective. And I could just sit and listen to them all day. They remind me, I mean, it, it, I sound like the old man, but it, it reminds me of me when I was their age, yeah. getting into it. Except they have the benefit of being way more knowledgeable about the group than I was at that because there was very little to read. Yeah. You know, you had Rob Schomburg, you had Nicholas Schaffner, and see you later, you know, and make and up the, the rest. On those, a lot of it was just guesswork, you know. Then. Yeah. Now these kids are like knowledgeable. They know everything. It's like at 3 30 on August 31st, 1967, Paul McCartney ate a ham sandwich, you know. Right, right. We didn't know that. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, uh, you know, and that's that's one of the things on the verge of breaking up or something, you know, because we didn't know what was going on that, that day. I was that's one of the reasons I was I wanted to go back and get those books that I got rid of because I wanted something. I remember that before I didn't know as much as I know now about the Beatles, there was a palpable mystery about them. And I'm sort of nostalgic for when there were surprises with the story of the Beatles. And there, there aren't as many surprises, unless you want to count $1,000 for the All Things Must Pass uh, uh, deluxe uh, edition. That's a surprise. But <laughs> in terms of their story, there's not as many surprises as there used to be. So I, I miss the innocence of that. Where's it? Does anybody have a violin here that I could use for this? Uh, yeah, I miss the innocence of that. Now, so you got interest about 76, based on... Right. Yeah. Uh, seven years old. For me, I was aware of them, but it's like, I was still a kid, even though I'm a little bit older. It's just that, uh, but what did it for me, and I've said this in my Beatles book, I did a Beatles book too, Mark Arnold picks on the Beatles. Um, <laughs> um, I was a comedy fan more than a music fan, and um, my dad turned me on to like totally all these different comedians and stuff like that. So by uh, 1977, I was watching Saturday Night Live, I was uh, burst in Monty Python. Uh, when I was a little kid in 1971, uh, there's a Marty Feldman TV series. You know, so I knew all this stuff. I knew young Frankenstein, blah, blah, blah. Some British stuff I knew, you know, everything like that. So I'm sure you've seen this now, but at the time, it was, it was like, um, so, you know, Lauren Michaels does a $3,000 check. Sure, of course. Eric Idle was the host of Saturday Night Live at the beginning of, or at the end of 76 but, or something, and they repeated it in the beginning of 77. And that's when I saw it. Um, he comes out and he starts playing. And he goes, here comes the sun. Right. And he goes on. And then the, the running gag is, you know, you know, Eric, this is really great. Let's save it for the end of the show. 
Anyway, so they have this repeating. <laughs> what song is he doing? I don't even know. <laughs> you know. Right. Like, um, so at the end, they said, you know, what song is Here Comes the Sun? And my, my dad or my mom said, oh, we have that song. It's on that album over there. And it's, you know, this one called Abbey Road because people walking across the street. And go, oh, okay. And so, um, you know, it, it turned out it was my uncle's album who passed away in the early 70s, unfortunately, but they got his albums. And that was the only Beatles album he had. Um, so I started off with Abbey Road. And so I put this thing on that, oh, here it is. Here comes the sun. First track on side two. So needle on it's a normal version. Oh, this song? Wow. Hey, it's Eric Idle's song. <laughs> what yeah. else on this album? So I decided I'm not going to just continue here. I'll flip it over start over at the beginning so first song is come together and i go i know this song and then the next song is something and i go i know this song and i think i didn't know maxwell's silver Man or maybe but i did know octopus's garden and then i think by the end of the album i knew a couple other things that i had heard over the years and i go this isn't right you know this is my 10 year old mind thinking this isn't right you can't have more than one hit on a record <laughs> right <laughs> you, you know and so um, I glommed onto this thing. I said, can I have this thing? And they go, yeah, sure. You know, it's like, um, do you have any more Beatles? You know, and uh, the only other thing they had is they had a seven-inch of help. So I played the Abbey Road album and help on down for ages until I finally ended up. I, I first got the later albums just because they were, right. in, they were in color, you know, and had booklets and cut out. Sure, of course. So, you know, because I said, well, if the songs stink, at least it has some fun stuff. <laughs> that was my ad. <laughs> so I got all the early albums a long time later. You know, we're talking like two or three years later. Um, where was I going with it? So a, a book that I had, and, that, and you haven't shown this one, but you've probably have seen it. It's the Beatles Illustrated Record. Right. Roy Carr and Tony Tyler. Yeah. That was and still is like one of my favorites. and it also makes me laugh because they have errors in that too but sure yeah they, uh, they, they're also in extraordinarily an opinionated you know right but uh which kind of helped me be a little bit nicer but also led to me doing my own opinions i said if these guys can just say uh like i loved how they wrote you know just certain little snippets i guess it's um the Dark Horse album by George Harrison had said, it top 10, of course, it would. <laughs> so <laughs> crazy. It might have been extra texture, but it was one of the George Harrison albums that they, they said that. Right. <laughs> and I said, I like that little it would, you know, because I was in school at the time, and the teachers would say, you don't write that way. <laughs> you know, that's not the correct English, you know. And I go, but these guys are doing it, and then they are English, you know. But, so. I, I liked the, it was the one that was a little later. It was The Long and Winding Road by Neville Stannard. Yeah. That was like our 82 or something around that time. And I really liked that. And I still, one of the, the, the recent release in that was The Beatles Box. The one that was like, a, I don't know, a Reader's Digest type of thing. Right. And it says from Liverpool on it. Oh, that's even though, yeah. Even though I own all of the Beatles stuff, I still lust for that box. Even though I would get it, and I, I just feel like I would never listen to it, but I, I just want it. I just want one. It was World Records, I think, was the name of the company. And there's just something about, there's that, it's that mystique, you know. I'm like, uh, I, I don't know, I guess you, as you get older, you do, 
tend to get nostalgic for these things. So, you know, usually I'm nostalgic for experiences I didn't actually have, uh, you know, like reading about the Beatles in the 60s. But in this case, um, books like I just got The Beatles Who's Who. It's a Bill Harry book from 1982. And, you know, he's he turned out like a dozen Beatle books. Uh, and this one does have some errors in it. But, you know, it's just to just to hold it and remember reading that stuff for the first time and going king size Taylor. Who are these people? You know, you're reading about all these other Liverpool groups. Um, I mean, it's just a lot of fun stuff. One thing I like about some of the books we talk about is I like it when and Bruce Spicer does this very well. He retreats in some of his books. Is yes. From the U.S. point of view. Now, granted, right. I know they're the British group and everything, but it's almost like there's two different histories here. And if you watch like the anthology, they're going to just tell you the British history. And they'll say things right. like, Yellow Submarine, the film flopped. You know, and things like that. It didn't here in the United States, but nobody would know that anymore, you know. <laughs> and we didn't pull singles off of the, these albums. Well, we did here because we capital flipped them all around and put the singles right. off the albums, you know. It's like, you know, which I'm sure aggravated the Beatles. And then, you know, we had the cartoon show and we had all this other stuff that makes it a very Americanized version uh, of the story, and then you forget that, oh, yeah, these guys are rich guys. <laughs> so. I'm very, I'm probably more excited for his new book on that covers Magical Mystery Tour releases and Yellow Submarine than anything else he's done. I know he did the Pepper book, and he obviously he did the Beatles on Capitol book and Beatles on Apple and the VJ book, yeah. but uh, I know he's done these coffee table books uh, around Pepper and the 50th anniversary of the White Album. But this Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine book, to me, is the one I'm looking forward to the most because I am a big fan of flawed records. You know, records where, um, like in Magical Mystery Tour's case, it's more of a marketing decision than an artistic one, and yet it triumphs anyway. You know, the material's that good. And in Yellow Submarine, you know, what can you say? There's... Um, I think I, I actually listened to side two more than I, you know, the George Martin score, because it reminds me more of the film. But, um, yeah, I'm really interested in, in, in reading that. I don't know if you're like me. I wish they would, like, put a proper Bill Submarine soundtrack of the score. Or of all, yes. all the Beatles movies, because you can get the United Artists, Hard Day's Night, uh, the Capital Help, and the uh, Bill Submarine, and... They don't have all the complete Ken Thorne right. or George Martin music. And it's like, it's somewhere. And I guess the Beatles just have this attitude, eh, nobody cares about that stuff. And probably over half of the Beatles fans really don't care about it. But I'm also interested in music and soundtrack and everything like that. And I, I like what George Martin has done other areas orchestrally. And I think it would be fascinating to have the complete movie soundtrack. Just the music, you know, forget the, you know, you maybe give leave Yellow Submarine because it's still Yellow Submarine, but, you right. know, but they actually well, went I the mean, opposite way. They did that song track that had all the witches coming. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that's, that's fine. But I, I also would love, they'll never do it, but, you know, the Beatles cartoon, pick oh, yeah. five or six shorts, uh, you know, the best ones, the ones that in today's era would be the least offensive, because I know that there are problems with some of those shorts. Um, and put it out on DVD, what parent is not going to buy that for their kids? That is money in the bank. 
they don't have to revoice them. I know that the Beatles don't like the, you know, Paul Freese and whatever. Uh, if they, you pick out the best stuff, leave the sing-alongs in and put that out on one DVD just as a tester. And I guarantee you that's that fly off the shelves. Every parent would buy that. I, I think, and I don't know this for a fact, I always think that the reason why they never do it is Ringo's portrayed as an idiot, basically. I don't think that sits well very much with him. And right. there's probably no rush to put these things out. I mean, yeah, well, I, I, have, yeah, I have a feeling it's probably going to happen eventually. Like, I yeah, think right. everything's going to come out eventually. We may not be around for it, but I think everything eventually will come oh, yeah. out. That's why, I mean, I, I don't know if people there. I do. I buy bootlegs. I have no problem yeah. with bootlegs. But if it comes out legitimately, yes, I will rebuy it. So, you know, I've done right. it um, A good example is the Batman TV series of Adam West. Sure, sure. On uh, video cassettes originally, and then DVDs came out. I bought the set again, and then... The real one came out, so I yes, all again, and I got rid of all the bootleg ones because yeah, they're kind of inferior quality. And so if you eventually put out the right thing, I will get the right thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For people who are worried, well, it's like the Beatles cartoons have been on bootleg for years. Well, yeah, but they're kind of so-so condition. Like you said, some of the episodes are a little questionable. So, right, right. You know, it's like I think the I think there's a moment, a couple of moments, even in the like the theme song at the very beginning. Even some of that animation is like, ah, oh, yeah, we'd have to get rid of some of this. <laughs> but I th I think you could cleverly do it if they could digitally remove cigarettes, uh, you know, from uh, publicity stills. They can do something with this. Oh, who knows? Yeah. Um, but I, I guess, like you said, eventually all this stuff will come out. Right. Um. So are you knowledgeable just like on about every group or anything like that, or you just uh, have your, your favorites? I have my favorites. Really I have deep like, into them. Right. I have like maybe there's a dozen that I'm like really, really deep into. Dozen TV shows, dozen bands, a dozen movies, dozen actors. So it adds up to a lot. But you mentioned Led Zeppelin before. If you asked me a question about Led Zeppelin, I couldn't tell you anything. I couldn't name her albums. I could. I don't know what. I mean, I know you know physical graffiti and. Oh, you can count. Uh, you know the first four. Right, Coda. Yeah, yeah. and I you know, um, but yeah, yeah, I just got that joke. See, even that, I'm a little slow on the uptake when it comes to Led Zeppelin. I know that Jimmy yeah, Page played 30, on like. You can, you can be a Chicago fan too. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you can even just BS your way through that. Oh, I like uh, 12. That's my favorite. Um, but, you know, oh, those are groups. They didn't do it. Oh, they didn't do it 12? See? No, that was, that's the one they called Hot Streets. I don't know why, but. Why? And they didn't do a 12. You'd think they wouldn't do a 13, but they didn't do a 13. Anyway, wow. But I happen to know that. Um, so, anyway. Um, uh, where am I going with things? Mention some of the books that you posted because I can't remember. I know there's like some film books and different ones like that. Sure. I mean, uh, let's see. I did do, uh, gosh, I, I don't even remember now, of course. Well, there is a Facebook page called David Needs Books where I just specifically put all of those. And the reason I did that, I called it David Needs Books because I foolishly thought that uh, authors would see that and take that as a message to send me books, which hasn't really happened. 
but I do read, uh, you know, I try to polish off a book every, at least every two weeks when I get time. Currently I'm reading a biography of Marlon Brando because I'll be doing a Marlon Brando themed podcast. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, I've been reading old Beatle books, uh, just things I've had in my collection that I've had for years that I just never got around to. Um, what would be a good example of an old book that I was floating around? Of Mice and Magic. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, well, I rebought that. That's one that, why did I get rid of that? You know, yeah, I mean, I loved that book as a kid. <laughs> right. The, the comics, encyc- the Encyclopedia of American Comics, like, or, or the World Encyclopedia of yeah. Comics. Why did I get rid of that book? You know, Popeye, the uh, fabulous 50 years. Why did I get rid of that book? So, <laughs> And these are ones I've had all this time. And right. And on uh, Mice and Magic, I had to rebuy it because my first edition, I poured through it so much it's like falling apart so i actually have three copies of it i have that original one then somewhere along the line they did a, uh, an update so i had the revised version then somewhere along the line i got the original hardback and i'm friends with jerry beck so i got him to sign it and then i finally met Lenny Malt and got him to sign it so yeah, I, I must have had some kind of like, you know, rejection of my past or I, I must have went through or I know when I moved, there were a lot of things I just got rid of. And sometimes and maybe you're the same way, I think to myself, you know, some kid, some budding young guy would probably get a kick out of this. So I'll donate it to the local, you know, whatever. Uh, and then I wind up, you know, needing it again. So I'm well on my way to being a hoarder. I'm already paying for storage which is ridiculous, you know, that I never visit, uh, you know, where I have all my albums and my comics and all that sort of stuff. Um, what I'm hoping for is to have the ultimate nerd garage sale, you know, one day. And I really want to, I want to have bouncers, you know, I got to make sure that you're sincere in your desire to get, you know, obscure Beach Boys bootlegs or something. I just don't want run-of-the-mill people coming in there. You know, you've got to pass. There should be a questionnaire or something that I could hand out to people, you know, have to be of a certain age and, you know, tell me who your, you know, who's your favorite <laughs> Beatle or whatever, you know, and can you name more than three? Um, and, and then, you know, you're allowed into my garage sale. And then I'll purge everything again, you know, because eventually in life, I guess we have to continue downsizing. I'm going the opposite direction, though. So uh, yeah. I'm like, uh, it's, it's like the Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm headed. For me, for me, I never got rid of everything, but I did, I've gone through a zillion purges. But now, since I'm older, for some strange reason, I find it easier just to hold on to everything and add yeah. to you know, it's like, I don't, because I go, if I lose it now, I'm never going to rebuy it again. I know that. Just because I'll say, I had it, and then I got rid of it. Um, and I try not to rebuy things, but I have. You know, I did a big purge probably in the late 90s of CDs because I was mm-hmm. Florida and I needed the money. And, so, and I've since rebought like probably sure, of course. of everything I sold because nowadays nobody cares about CDs, so I bought them for like a buck or two, and I got stuff that I originally paid like 20 bucks for or something like that, you know, because CDs are... You, you know what I really wish I held on to, and I mean, I really destroyed them. They're in, or they were in terrible shape when I got rid of them, but the Capitol Beatles cassettes, the ones with the blue spines, yeah. you know, from the 80s with the, with the Capitol logo that was just the C with the dot in the middle, I, I, you know, I have such great affection for that. They screwed around with the... Um, 
you know, with the track selection, I think Beatles second album, they opened it with I'll get you or something crazy like that. I mean, they really screwed it up uh, for, I guess, timing issues, but I wish I still had those. No one is nostalgic for Beatles cassettes, <laughs> but uh, I never you know. really got into cassettes too much. You know, yeah, I, I, I basically am a vinyl CD guy. I, I get a cassette if I had to, you know, that was kind of right. Like, you know, or if it was just like dirt cheap or something like that. Um, you know, my product uh, CDs are always my favorite. And it's like when vinyl started making a comeback, uh, and then they wouldn't make a CD version of something. Like, you know, and I, I, you know, you probably have gone to record store days. Um, sure. Um, uh, I'm a big comedy fan, and so I bought um, uh, the recent Jonathan Winters uh, three-record set. Oh! And somebody else said on uh, Facebook somewhere online, said, "Who's taking the like, CD?" I do too, but it's like I still wanted it, so I, I ended up buying it on vinyl. But it's like it just bugs me. It's like there's not even a digital download, so I have to play it on vinyl, which is fine. I do have a turntable, but. I love CDs. I can play it in my car. I can, you know, um, you play it on your Blu-ray player, whatever. Like, you know, I don't know why that format's like just been, you know, gone. Yeah, no, I still like them too. I mean, I, vinyl. My uncle got rid of my vinyl a long, long time ago in a in a really stupid accident. Um, whereas I'd gone through and when I it was a move and I pruned vinyl I was going to get rid of and then the vinyl I was going to keep and he got rid of the vinyl that I wanted to keep and kept the small amount that I I mean I guess in his defense that's kind of the way a normal person would do it you know they would want to keep a smaller if they were going to move somewhere smaller and, and anyway I just never bothered rebuying them again I said I can't do it and I, I went kicking and screaming into CDs because I had so many cassettes and I hated to part with them. And eventually I did repurchase everything, you know, on, on CD. But that's it. You know, I've reached my limit. I'm not, you know, if there ever is a new format, which I doubt there will be now with the streaming and everything, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just going to, I'll be happy with my CDs. In terms of new stuff, maybe I buy one or two things a year, you know, at this point. I know that Beach Boys Feel Flows box set's coming out. I guess I'm going to have to pull the trigger on that and spend. That's a outtakes. It's it's the Sunflower album and the Surf's Up album from '70 and '71, and then oh, yeah, they haven't done yeah, that. all like 45, you know, outtakes, and I guess I'm going to have to do that. But um, you know, the McCartney stuff that I don't like. You know, I'm a pretty good Beach Boys fan. You know, they put out that 1967 two disc set, and I thought it was great on CD. And right, they did right. like another 67 one and a 68 one and a 69 one, I think. And those are only on digital download. And for me, yeah, yeah. Like, we might as well just have kept it in the vaults, you know, because I don't want to download it and burn my own CDs. And it's like, you know, it's just like, it's not. I know, I, I have, I have those. And I did, you know, I downloaded the cover art and I purchased it. And, you know, I, I feel like I don't own it. You I know, I feel like I have some cheap. Things, you know? Right. It's just like. You know, and I, I do, I don't even listen to it often. When, when I look at my collection, that's excluded. You yeah. know, that's like in a pile of like junk. Uh, and, it, and it's true. I think they should have gotten a physical release for, for that. And then I would have been all over it. 
I mean, there's no difference between the CDs I made and what I would get in a store. But for some reason, it just feels inauthentic, the ones that I did. So, yeah. And to me, it's like, they still put them up, but I guess they won't. You know, it's no longer the right. anniversary or whatever. It's like, I don't know think, you know, but to me, it's like, I think if they could do more manufacturer on demand, I think that would be a good direction to go for people. That I, I would totally do that. Media, you know. <laughs> I bought a William Shatner album that was a uh, manufactured on demand. It was his country album. I forget what it was called, but yeah. yeah. Um, like a recent podcast here. Do uh, you know Charles Rosenick? Yes. Yeah. Good day, sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. He brings me some great guests, and so he brought me Gary Puckett. And Gary Puckett is going to start touring in July. And um, he said, you know, if you want me to get you to sign something, you got to buy a CD. I can't sign a streaming. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Song. And it's like, he's right. You know, it's like if you want his autograph, I mean, I guess you have it right on a slip of paper, but there's something about, oh, he signed my album that I purchased from him, you know, and I, I was getting it. You know, you know, it's like it's one thing to get some royalties from some arbitrary streaming, but, you know, if you buy a CD from him, you're getting it and you can sign it. You know, so. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I hate to be a party pooper, but I'm getting a warning that my battery's going to die. I'm like, doing this on my phone. We've gone over an hour, so we can all okay. back. Yeah, I didn't know what direction this would go. Oh, it went in every direction. It went in every direction possible, yeah. Yeah, it was very fun talking to you. You as well. Meeting you, and, you know, we'll keep in touch. And One thing I was going to say before we go, yeah, in relation to your garage sale if you ever have it you know I, I started a facebook group precisely because of that because some disgruntled beatles fans were like all oh, these people that don't know yes yes so i don't know if i send you an invite but it was called i am a member of that the intelligent yeah, the beatles fan and that's where that kind of came out of you know it's like these people that don't know they're like clueless they like the beatles songs maybe but they're like clueless i mean the did John die sometime? I don't know. I thought right, right. You know, it's like, uh, you know, and you're like, uh, yeah. So that's kind of where that came from. So I, I get it for you. <laughs> well, I'll leave it on that note. Uh, I guess the last thing I usually ask people to do is if there's anything you'd like to promote, a podcast, a book, uh, anything you're doing. Well, you can just find me. Uh, I mean, I do have a radio show called The Vintage Rock and Pop Shop where I interview various uh, celebs um i don't think i've done gary puckett but i've interviewed uh, you know bobby rydell you did bobby rydell i, I interviewed him too yep uh and various folks like that and you can find that on facebook you could just look me up on facebook david ghosty wills and occasionally i'll post about margarine and uh things <laughs> things like that um it's not terribly active but you know uh i i, I welcome all covers very good and I want to thank you, Ghosty, or David Ghosty Wills, for being my special guest on today's Fun Ideas podcast. And we'll see you next time. Signing off. Thank you for listening, and thank you, David Ghosty Wills, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 124 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. 
Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of The Characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.